Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Raw and uncut, Jiggy Jag, you know how you do it. Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I, love I didn't that. know you were, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267-22-Jiggy. Hey, Jiggy, what's happening, man? Must be that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy play guitar, Jeff. It's a great name, and thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and uh, you know you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my trick shots there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I, I never knew what freedom that. was until I saw you lose yours. Welcome to the next edition of the world famous Jiggy Jaguar Radio Broadcast. We are coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio today. Also, AMFM247.com. Getting all sorts of nonsense on my phone and I don't care about it because I'm doing the show here. That's what we do. We do the show here. We are going to go to Dan Perkins, IQL Rizzoli, and our first guest. But before we do that, let's tell you about once again, Virtual PBX. That's right. Power your business. Empower your business communications using voice, video, and SMS by Virtual PBX. The virtual PBX business phone system allows you to greet your callers with professional greetings, keep your personal line private, and use your existing devices to make calls from your business line. You don't have to be inside the office to stay connected to your team and your clients. Virtual PBX can turn any desk phone, computer, or smartphone into a VoIP phone, allowing you to run your business anywhere. The best part is you can get a professional phone system for as low as $13 a user. When you visit virtualpbx.com slash podcast, that's virtualpbx.com slash podcast to claim the special discount for podcast listeners. We need you to go over and claim your incredible discount. Do it right now. It's virtualpbx.com. Check it out today. And they are presenting our broadcast today commercial free. So we are going to go to our very clever. But all the, all those what's this? Something going on. There's something going on, yes. We definitely know there's there, there's something going on. We are gonna go to our um, our guests here in just a few moments. And uh, Paul is gonna join us here in our broadcast, but we gotta get Dan Perkins and IQ Al Rizzoli in here. And uh, I believe we are joined by the fabulous Dan Perkins and the incredible IQ Rizzoli. Uh, I am with you already. <laughs> I am with you already. <laughs> I love hey, IQ. Jim. He is great. Jim? Yes, Dan. How are you, sir? I got to tell you a real quick, less than 30-second story. I okay. Got introduced, I got introduced this week or last week on a radio show, and the guy said, it was the first time I've been on a show, and he says, 
this is the most dangerous man in radio. <laughs> you must have heard that from Jim. <laughs> so, okay. Well, we, uh, have, joining us today, we have a tremendous guest with us today. He is a former FBI special agent, Paul Latrisky. He is here to discuss his forthcoming book, behind-the-scenes look into the office of J. Edgar Hoover, the first ever written by a member of his personal staff, the director, My Years Assisting J. Edgar Hoover. It is the first-person account of working inside J. Edgar Hoover's office as he chased the left-wing extremists of the 60s and the 70s. It should also serve as a warning against letting history repeat itself. And we have the incredible Mr. Letersky with us today. How are you, Paul? Just fine yourself. I, I'm a, actually I'm I'm a little nervous because when I saw who was going to be interviewing me, someone with the initials IQ made made me feel very uh, uncomfortable. I'm very grateful that you're nervous. Eye. I'm very grateful I'm, you're nervous. I'm That's grateful awesome. you're nervous, but don't be. I'm on your side, 100. <laughs> percent so you got you got a guy named IQ and the most dangerous guy in radio uh, oh boy, this sitting is across the aisle to talk to you. <laughs> this is quite the setup here. So so Paul, tell us a little bit about cats. this book, my That's pussycats. T- tell us about this book, Paul. You're you're the guest. Tell me and Dan and IQ a little bit about the book. Okay, this uh I was with the FBI during the probably the most turbulent time in the United States uh, uh, history other than the Civil War. And Dan, you're aware of, I mean, you were there, the Vietnam, all the demonstrations, the mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the violent domestic uh, uh, terrorists and yes. all the things that were going on. And I, I decided to write the book now because History's repeating itself. It really mm. is. Uh, and the only part of history that's not repeating itself, and I wish I w- uh, felt that way, is uh, if Jade Hoover was uh, director, we probably wouldn't have uh, the intensive political uh, involvement of the Bureau and some of the other intelligence agencies. Uh, so anyway, I decided this is a good time to write the book. Well, it wasn't it. It took me about five years to be quite honest with you. And I basically started writing the book because I wanted my grandchildren to know what their grandpa. Uh, I read a, have led a pretty uh, adventuresome life. And so I started the book uh, for my grandchildren. Several people in the Writers Guild said I should write the book for commercialization. And so that, that's what I did. And it basically, uh, what, what it is and what it is not, it's not another Hoover biography. It's a memoir as to how Hoover was known to me. Uh, and I think that, that's important to know. But it also uh, is a history book. There's, it goes back to when Hoover started with the Department of Justice in 1918. Uh, up until his death, I was invited to his funeral, which I attended. And uh, the book also has true crimes that I was involved in, uh, crimes that grabbed national headlines. So that's the book. 
Dan, do you have any questions here for Paul? Because uh, th- th- this is an uh, I got more. I got more questions than time. Um, <laughs> um, I can I can equate the taking uh, a long time to write a book. I just finished a book that was a four and a half year journey on a historical novel on on Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. So I I, I totally understand. Once you get involved in historic history. It can it just eats up time like crazy. Yeah, I, good for you. When when is your book coming out? Probably in the fall. Probably in the oh, fall. It's called Abraham you. Lincoln and Abraham Lincoln and the Second Assassin. So oh, it's a it's a mystery and a thriller. I want to oh, ask you. Uh, thank you for coming on today. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to to have a conversation with you. I, I want to start off by asking what I think is a very simple question. Are you disappointed? in the behavior of your former agency? Yes, that's a pretty quick answer, but with with a lot of good reasons. Uh, and I know a lot of my friends that are still alive that were agents feel the same way. It's a totally different organization, and it's very difficult for me to comment on it because I don't want to be critical of my alumni, uh, but uh, they haven't fared too well in the last few directors. And even even today with uh, Chris Ray, uh, I think the jury's still out on him because he's been dragging his feet uh, with Congress. They keep asking him for emails and other documents, and he keeps stonewalling, and uh, I don't right. understand why. Uh, so to answer your question, the answer is yes. I'm disappointed. So let me ask you the harder question then. Okay. What went wrong? Uh, well, I, I think there was so much turmoil and so much change. When you think about when you think about Hoover, right? He sat in that chair for 48 years and he worked for eight presidents and 17 attorneys general. There was such a consistency of discipline and order. Uh, and in the next 48 years, there have been 14 directors and assistant directors that have sat in that chair. So, you know, when you think about that, you lose a lot of the discipline. Uh, Hoover, uh, you can criticize him. And, I, and my book is very fair. I have some criticism and I have some support uh, for that time. Uh, but in Hoover's office, and it was just like that in the bureau too. It's very disciplined, and Hoover was very formal, no matter what the situation. He he called me Mr. Latursky. Uh, I was a law student going to law school at night while I was working for him, and then I became an agent uh, after I graduated from law school. But the discipline in that office and the formality when he never called me Paul and. Uh, I don't. Did you, have you read the book? I don't know if you read. No, I, I I read excerpts. Yes, but I want uh, to read the be, book because uh, Helen Gandy, who was his administrative assistant uh, for for fifty years, she started mm. with him in the Justice Department in 1918, and was still working for him after he died, shredding files. So uh, okay. there's such discipline. I guess that's what I'm emphasizing. And it went right from the top, right to the smallest person in the bureau. 
And that but, I, I find that lacking today. I, I, I agree with your observation. The other other question I would ask you is. Um, I'm not a I'm not an attorney, um, never went to law school. I used to tell people that I'm a practicing attorney, so I don't really count. But <laughs> I look at I, I look at. The. The res, the lack of respect for the law. When I have the, the, the director of the FBI signing off on a warrant to the FISA court that he knows is false and that he's lying under oath, where's the integrity? Emphasize it a little more, Dan. He signed off on four FISA warrants with, with okay. no support. And where, so where is, the, where is the integrity of the, of the office and of the person? And and the bigger bigger question, what price has he paid for it? He's made a couple of million dollars as a okay. result with, with his book. There's been no accountability for anyone that's been in, that was involved, and I don't know how you can get away with a fraud against the FISA courts, uh, or or they should formulate something else or eliminate the FISA courts. Uh, I don't want to get into a political discussion because we're trying to talk about my book. And when it was introduced, you said forthcoming. It was released today, my book. Okay. Congratulations. Fantastic. No, thank you. So are you on a book tour? Uh, you know, this COVID thing uh, prevented us from scheduling, and that's why we have this conversation with you uh, over Skype and doing with Zoom. Uh, I have 17 interviews this week uh, and uh, I'm going to be at, well, radios and on Fox primetime TV. Uh, and it, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm enjoying meeting people like you guys, you know, <laughs> regular people. <laughs> yes, regular well, I people. don't know. IQ might not be a regular person. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Maybe not. Go ahead, IQ. Uh, simple question. When I read about Hoover, they described him as a pervert. Is there anything truthful about it? Uh, no. That, you know that. You look in these movies. That movie J. Edgar. Uh, there was hardly any one truth in that movie. I mean, it was just so distorted, so inaccurate. And when you say he's a pervert, how do you describe a pervert? Well, they speak about him as a cross-dresser, wearing women's clothing. Oh, no, that, you know, that's, that is just so foolish. That just, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was with him every day. And that was just such a foolish thing. Uh, he was an impeccable dresser. Uh, very concerned about his reputation. Matter of fact, he was married to the Bureau. That was his family, his children, his mistress, uh, his whole life. Uh, and he was a workaholic. And one thing people don't really know about him was his moral compass. He wasn't a, a real religious person. I don't re ever remember him going to church. But when you think about some of the policies and decisions and fights that he had, he 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 was an expert in political poker, but the one he, one battle he lost was with uh, FDR. He argued with FDR 
opposed to interning the Japanese Americans during World War II. Uh, and very few people know about that uh, part of Hoover. Uh, and of course, FDR, the president, he over overrode Hoover and did that horrible thing by interning the Japanese Americans. I never heard that before, I must admit, never. Yeah, about but who, there, who were being opposed. Yeah, but there's a lot of things you probably never heard before about him because, you know, with, with the movies and the press and other books, they look for uh, the faults. Uh, and, you know, he, was, he wasn't without fault, that's, that's for sure. You know, you're breaking up. I really, your voice is breaking up and I I can't catch your questions, uh, IQ. No, no, I'm all right. I'm listening to you. Yeah, really. we, 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 listen, we listen here, Paul. We, we, we don't try to interrupt the guest. You're the guest. Uh, uh, we just kind of let you, you do asking, your thing. Yeah, I thought you were asking me a question and I just, uh, I, I couldn't understand what uh, it was. It was breaking up. So Dan, uh, yes, sir. Jump, jump back in there. Do you, do you have a? I will. I do. So, um, as a, as a novelist myself, and a, and working both in fiction and nonfiction, uh, I'm always curious when I have a chance to talk to another author. Had you written anything else prior to this? Uh, no. This this is my debut. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good subject. So talk yeah, about your I, research. I, I started my second uh, one, Dan. What's it? What's it's it? Going to be about, it's going to be about the aviation industry. When I left the FBI, I was head of security for United Airlines and later became uh, vice president of Pan American uh, when we were having all sorts of uh, international terrorism, bombs on airplanes. So I had an opportunity to work with Scotland Yard, the GSG-9, uh, New South wow. Wales, uh, and I worked uh, over a two-year period of time with uh, KGB officers when the Soviet Union was collapsing. So wow. there's there's a lot of room for the next book or two, and I'm anxious to uh, get it out. But I'm I'm real pleased with this one. I'm real satisfied with it. So did you? Uh, I don't want you to reveal your sources per se, but did you discover new sources of information about J. Edgar as you? Began to research your book. Well, the new information that I found was really historic. Uh, you know, going back to the Palmer raids and World War One, when Hoover was part of the uh, the group investigating uh, crimes of stealing war equipment, and you know, so I I wasn't aware of that. But that was going back into 1920 with the Palmer raids and. Uh, the development of uh, uh, the Bureau and how corrupt the Bureau of Investigation was when Hoover started in the Justice Department. And so I, I had to do research on that, but find, you can find that in history books. Maybe old history books, not new history books. <laughs> no, not you're right. <laughs> so what was the, if you look back at the, the four plus years that you spent writing the book, was there any say, was there ever a moment when you were sitting at your computer and you're writing and you're you're developing this particular part of the story you that you said yourself wow i never knew that about him no you uh 
No, I'll tell you, tell you why. When I first went to the Bureau, I worked in the Crime Records Division uh, for a year uh, before I went into Hoover's office, before I was sent there. Uh, and prior to that, the Crime Records Division is their public relations arm, and they sent me to Quantico to learn the FBI history because I also gave congressional tours at the time. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the FBI tour was the second most popular tour in Washington at the time, second to the White House. And so I learned a lot at Quantico. We, we studied the history. So there, I wasn't shocked with, with, with anything that I, that I learned. Uh, I had a pretty good grasp of Hoover by being with him every day. Uh, and, and just working uh, for him, you learned a lot. So you know, I, I, I'm sorry, go yeah, ahead, go please ahead. finish. No, go ahead. What were you going to ask? Dan, what was, what was the question, Dan? Oh, I, I wanted to ask, uh, I wanted to ask him, I don't know what's going on here. Um, can you hear me, Jim? Yes, I've got you. I've got you. We okay. can hear you. Okay. I, I, I wanted to ask our guest, what are you, and if you don't want to answer this, feel free not to. Um, what do you think about the movement to defund the police? I think I think it's a horrible thing. I don't even, I, I have no idea what people are thinking about uh, by defunding the police. My God. Uh you know, they were talking about using some of the money for social workers. Can you imagine responding to a domestic violence thing with the social worker? Uh, I, I, I just think it's idiotic. It's ludicrous. Uh, it doesn't make sense. And uh, people are going to pay the price. They're going to pay a price for it, unfortunately. My concern, sir, is that um, like New York City, where I used to live outside of New York City, They've officially they've admitted that there are 5,300 police officers have either retired or resigned, and uh, they cut a billion dollars out of the police budget and they put back two to three hundred million. So they've got 700 million that they still are unfunded. I'm not convinced. I'm convinced that the Democrats and I'm I'm, I'm being political, I guess, in a sense. I'm convinced because uh, I did some research and that that. The 10 largest city in terms of crime, violent crime, are all governed by Democratic mayors and have been right. been governed by Democrats for years and years and years. But what I think is different this time, sir, and I'd love your opinion, when you tell me you don't want me anymore and you get rid of me, and when you realize that you've made a mistake, why should I go back to you? How can I ever trust you again? I don't think they're going to get able to replace the police that have resigned. Uh, I think they will, but I think it's going to take a long time. It could take probably up to 10 years, in my opinion, uh, because they defunded uh, training for new cadets. Uh, you know, you need it. So there's no money to be training them. So I, could, I can see it's going to take a long time. But I have enough faith in, in in our American people that there's going to be enough pressure 
to reinstate those numbers of police. Uh, and I agree with you. I worked in New York City for uh, five years myself and spent you know, time there uh, in midtown Manhattan. And uh, that's uh, when uh, the squeegee guys used to come up to your car and try and break off the windshield wipers if you didn't give them money for washing your windshield. But Rudy Giuliani changed all that stuff around with his broken windows theory. Right. No, I, I, I agree. I, I just concerned that 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 um, we have done a, a, a terrible disservice uh, to our nation and, and, and to people. Uh, the black community is not in favor of defunding the police. They, they want them in the neighborhoods. And, and, and you, you have to question the, the intellect. You don't have to. I can't. Uh, you have to question the <laughs> intellect of the people who made the decision when the crime rate went through the roof, when they got rid of the police. Like, wow, was that a great revelation that if you get rid of the police, the crime rate that... That was not. That didn't take records, rocket science to figure that out. But no, the, they they don't they don't understand that. Well, no one can recognize it more than I. I live on the north coast of Oregon, about an hour and a half from Portland. And if there was ever example of the funding of police and crime rights, uh, their homicide rates up over five hundred percent. Portland's one of the worst. Yeah, and I'm close <laughs> to it. All right. Jim, how long, long do we have this great guest? Uh, we've got him till the uh, here for probably another five, six minutes. We've got him till the okay. uh, till the bottom of the hour here. Okay, good. Um, so, can you give us a little nibble as to what your next book is going to be about? Yeah, as I, I, I mentioned, it's going to be about the aviation industry and crimes in the aviation industry, uh, and <laughs> and some of them uh, were more exciting. Uh, than stuff I did in the FBI. Uh, <laughs> airplanes, you know, being hijacked, bombs uh, being put on airplanes. When I was head of security for United Airlines, I would get 60, on an average, 65 bomb threats a month. Wow. And I have to decide uh, uh, what to do with the airplane. Divert it to another airport? Where can we land it? Uh I had a lot of lot of problems Unibom. with Unibomber. with bombs and everything. When I was with United Airlines, uh, the Unabomber uh, sent a bomb to our president Percy Wood, who was my boss, and wow. it was the fourth uh, bomb sent by the Unabomber. And so I got involved in the investigation of the Unabomber, and that's going to be in my book too. It's one of my many failures, uh, Dan, because the Unabomber kept sending bombs for the next 10 years or 15 years. Uh, we had, and it's, I had to work with the Chicago police real closely. We just didn't know uh, why Percy Wood received this bomb. So there was, a, there's a lot of uh, interesting cases uh, and scenarios in the aviation industry, some comical, some very serious, uh, also uh, involved uh, with coordinating some of the crashes. So it, uh, I've got a lot of material to cover. And I think at my age, I may just try and write one more book because I'm really, I'm really pushing it. I think, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> I I, didn't I, start... I want to be I want to be around when it's released. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I, start. Dad, it can't it can't take another four or five years. I well, I I, uh, I started writing when I was sixty four. I'm now seventy four, and I've written seven novels and three children's books. Wow! No kidding! Wow! Yeah. Uh, here, here I'm. Uh, I'm interviewing you now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I have we, we only got a couple minutes. I have one more question for you, if I might, sir. Sure. Yes, go ahead. Uh, um, I asked you about defunding the police. What do you think about the attack on the Second Amendment? It's just another. They, they're running out of points to cover uh, in policies. <laughs> What do I think about the Second Amendment? It better stay there. Uh, they better not touch that. I, you know, I'm a real constitutionalist. I'm I'm a very strict interpreter of the Constitution. Amen. I teach I teach criminal justice in a community college out here in the North Coast, and I'm the coordinator of the criminal justice program. And issues like that I bring up in class. And believe it or not, these young people. Uh, feel the same way you do uh, towards this. Of course, out in northern Oregon, there's a lot of hunters and fishermen and everybody has a gun. Uh, so I could see how they uh, uh, they feel about the Second Amendment themselves. Do you think because of the defunding of the police across the country that the Second Amendment is even more important because people are going to have to protect themselves rather than rely upon the police? Well, uh, it's not a matter of my opinion. All you have to do is take a look at the sales uh, from the gun shops to the people, how it how it's increased since these policies or actions to defend uh, defund the police. Uh, sales of uh, weapons have gone through the roof. I mean, that's telling you something right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read your book. Thank you for spending what time with with me today and. Uh, Good luck with your book. Yes. Okay. And, I, and I've got to look up yours. I'm going to have, I probably should look for the children's books first. <laughs> well, but you can get them at, you can get them at danperkins.guru. Isn't that right? They're yes, Dan? or you can get them on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you buy books. Yeah. There's same a, thing the, mine. The, except mine's not on Dan Perkins Guru. It's on Amazon <laughs> and Apple bookstores. Well, we want to we want to hear how we get a hold of you. Yes. How, how, how do we get in touch with you, my friend? Uh, Latursky dot com is my website, and there's right. all the information over there. Uh, and I appreciate I appreciate the time you gentlemen have uh, spent and. Hopefully, you're going to help sell my book. Yes, yes. Well, um, well, Paul, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you have been fantastic. Thanks for doing this. And uh, we are going to take a time out. And uh, when we come back, we'll have Dan and IQ. And we'll be talking with uh, Robert Spencer after the break. So uh, thanks to everybody. And we will uh, talk to you next in the, uh, in the next commercial break. Paul, thank you, my okay. friend. This has been tremendous. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You're quite, you're quite welcome. Thank you. There he goes, Paul Latursky. And uh, we are going to take a 
Brief timeout here. When we come back, we have got Robert Spencer on the line coming up here in a few moments. Moving can be one of the most stressful things you'll ever do. And at Moving APT, we specialize in taking the stress and strain out of your move. Whether you have a one-bedroom apartment or a 10-bedroom mansion, you can feel safe and confident that Moving APT will get the job done. On time, hassle-free, and at the guaranteed lowest price. That's right, we will meet or beat any quote. That's our price match guarantee. At Moving APT, we never sacrifice quality or service. Licensed, bonded, and insured, you always get the best price. So if you're planning an out-of-state move within the next 30 to 60 days and you need a full-service moving company, you owe it to yourself to give us a call. We do it all, packing all your belongings, moving and unpacking. Leave the stress and strain behind and call Moving APT, America's number one interstate movers, now. For a free quote, give us a call. 800-209-9350. 800-209-9350. 800-209-9350. Yes, indeed. We are back live, coast to coast, border to border on iHeartRadio today, AMFM247.com, KFRK in Denver. We've got to get to our next guest, Robert Spencer, but before we do that, we've got to get our uh, marketing partner out of the way here. Virtual PBX. That's right. We love these guys. And they're the future of work, and it has changed. Entrepreneurs need tools that allow them to communicate from anywhere. That's why Virtual PBX Flex Plans are essential for every business. Virtual PBX transforms your smartphone, your computer, into a full-featured virtual phone system. Absolutely amazing. Flex Plans include features like virtual receptionist, telephone numbers, text messaging, custom greetings, and so much more. The best part is right now you can get a professional phone system for as little as $13 a user. Just visit virtualpbx.com slash podcast to claim your discount. That's virtualpbx.com slash podcast to get started for less than $13 a user. We are going to go to Robert Spencer. He is hopefully going to join us here in just a few moments. Hello. Robert Spencer, how are you? It's James Lowe calling you for your radio interview. How are you, sir? Just great, thanks. How are you, sir? Pretty good, actually. Pretty good, actually. I've got to get our other two panelists in here, and then we will get off and running. We have got Robert Spencer with us today. He's the author of Did Muhammad Exist? It's basically an inquiry into Islam's obscure origins. And uh, Robert Spencer joins us today here on our big program. And we are going to see if we can get uh, Dan Perkins and... uh, IQ back in here, and uh, we have got Robert Spencer with us today. Of course, he is the uh, best-selling author. He has got a brand new book, Did Muhammad Exist? An Inquiry into Islam's Obscure Origins. 
So, Robert Spencer, talk to us a little bit about this incredible book, my friend. Tell us all about this book. Well, thank you very much. Uh, one of the main things about it is that uh, when you, the more you look at the historical records from the time that Muhammad is supposed to have lived, the less there is to see. Uh, he is supposed to have lived from 570 to 632. And right after 632, his followers are supposed to have swept out of Arabia and conquered the Middle East, North Africa, Iran, and so on. A military, uh, what's that? No, go ahead, my friend. We're just listening to you talk. Go ahead, Robert. Gotcha. Uh, A military adventure that has never been paralleled. And yet the thing is, is that while it's no doubt that those conquests happened, there is no record that any of the people who were being conquered or the conquerors ever spoke about their having a new religion or a new prophet or a new holy book. It was all later, much later, that we start hearing about Muhammad, the Quran, and Islam. Robert Spencer with us today. He's the author of Did Muhammad Exist? An Inquiry into Islam's Obscure Origins. Dan Perkins uh, joins us. Dan, do you have any questions for Robert? I don't know where to. Uh, I don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> the uh, the the Biden administration decided to pull out of Afghanistan um, a little earlier. I, I think it was politically motivated. They didn't want to withdraw on September the 11th because of the perhaps the connotation of what September 11th means to a lot of Americans. But where does Afghanistan go from here? Where, where, does, where does Iran and, and Syria and Iraq, where do those countries that are physically destroyed, where do they go from here? Well, uh, Afghanistan is going to become a Taliban Islamic State again. That's been clear for years. And uh, there was no putting it off. I mean, there was no preventing it. Ultimately, it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. And so uh, the, what the Biden administration ought to be doing, but of course isn't, is working now on how to make sure that they contain their jihad activity and do not export it as they did on 9-11. Uh, but of course, they're busy making sure that the military is woke, and so they're not really paying attention to what's going on there at all. So would you expect... Um to to the Biden administration to fail and that terrorism will again start spreading around the world? I don't have any doubt about that whatsoever. That's exactly what's going to happen. And uh, you don't have to come back to me in a year and say, hey, you predicted that because any fool could predict it. There is nothing more obvious. But but let me ask you a question. I, I, I'm, uh, among other things, I'm a novelist and I wrote seven seven novels on uh, radical Islamic terrorism. Uh, I have a a concern um, that there is a progression in war. And what the Taliban and and Iran and other Middle Eastern nations did as a strategy 10 years ago, when they reemerge as a a, a force uh, for terrorism, they're going to reemerge with different weapons, more deadly, more powerful, more destructive weapons. Would you disagree with that? No, I think that's absolutely true. There's no doubt. And uh, it's basically just on the basis of the fact that they see Biden's handler's administration as weak 
and they're going to take advantage of that weakness. They see the world in terms of strength and weakness, and so mm-hmm. we can't expect them to do anything else. And so they're going to be emboldened, and they're going to go as far as they possibly can. Hi, Q, are you there? Of course I'm here. Go. Yes, go. Well, I disagree with Robert Spencer as much as I love and know exactly what he's talking about and have followed his jihad watch all the time. There is no way on earth anybody who could have conceived of a pervert like Muhammad. It is impossible. <laughs> he had well, to Well, maybe, maybe so. But there were the, the idea is that because there's no indication that he existed, there's no contemporary evidence that he was there at all, and quite a lot that's disconfirming. What is uh, likely in, the, in this case, I believe, is that it was a lot of perverts who actually created him. That in the first place, if you take the warfare aspect, the aggressive and violent aspects of Islam, this is because Islam was put together by people who were trying to strengthen the Arab empire that they had amassed and make sure that it was going to be able to stand strong and to continue to grow. And that meant that they wanted to make fighting warfare into some kind of a holy duty that would bind people to continue to do it and not to get complacent. So Islam turns out to be aggressive, martial, expansionist, and violent. The only reason that I disagree with you is simple. The Quran went through two periods, which you know very well about, the Mecca and the Medina. So it is inconceivable from my point of view that anybody could have created it that way. He did exist. He was a pervert. He was a mass murderer, a pathological liar, a psychopath, a a terrorist. He was all of them. And the irony of it, he added, he had it all in his Quran. When I read chapter two, Al-Baqarah, or chapter nine, At-Tawbah, or any of the chapters in between, they reflect his, literally, his autobiography. Well, you know, there's, that may be, but there's, he's only mentioned by name four times in the Quran, and none of those mentions give us any details about his life. What you are describing is that he is so repulsive, the idea that he's so repulsive, that why would anybody have invented such a person? And we have to understand that the people who did so had the same kind of perspectives and priorities, and they were canonizing them. They were making them into something that was good and something that they wanted to perpetuate by assigning them to this prophet they were constructing. But it took them 300 years. The problem that you got... Yeah, that's the whole problem, that it's 200 years after Muhammad lived that you start getting the Hadith literature. And so you have this yawning absence before that. Nobody even mentions that he exists. When Sophronius, the patriarch of Jerusalem, uh, is speaking at great length about the, the Arab conquerors who conquered Jerusalem, he never once mentions that they have a new prophet or a new holy book or a new religion. And yet uh, Islamic legend from the ninth century tells us that he welcomed the Caliph Umar and showed him around town. Uh, this is completely baseless on the, on the basis of Sophronius's own writings, who uh, he doesn't even call them Muslims, and he doesn't betray any idea. Even as he's thinking about them, talking about them, talking with them, they never get, give him the impression that they've come with any kind of new religion at all. 
but they actually they don't have even as, as we speak today even we assume that muhammad did exist islam is not a religion because allah is most certainly not the same as the god of the bible the fact well there's no doubt the about Quran, that sure sorry there's no doubt about that whatsoever islam the god of uh, the quran is not the same as the god of the bible that's absolutely true correct you know that i know that but 3000 4000 million people don't believe you or me in That's spite right. of the fact spite, the whole of the quran is based that on allah predestined humanity yes. the fact that he predestined humanity negates him as a god because predestination completely destroys free will the god of yes. the bible had free will allah has no it's free a monstrous will. thing It's a monstrous thing in the Quran in chapter 7 verse 179 Allah says he could have guided everyone to the truth but instead he will fill hell with jinns and men that's also chapter 32 verse 13 it's uh, it's a terrible idea really We agree okay <laughs> Yeah so the, I mean the tragedy is the tragedy is professors in the west support Muhammad more than the muslims support muhammad yes that's certainly true a lot of them are bought they're bought by saudi arabia bought by qatar and so that's why they uh they behave the way they are they know who's signing their checks wow do you do you have do you, do you have do you have an opinion if israel will attack or not attack iran if who What will attack think? iran Israel will attack Iran before she gets an atom bomb. Yes, I would not be in the least surprised, but I suspect that it will take the form that we have already seen, the assassinations of the nuclear scientists, the strange explosions at and fires at the nuclear uh sites. These kinds of things are what I I believe, I hope actually that Israel is behind it. I think Israel is behind them. and i hope that they will continue i think that's more likely that they will continue rather than that there will be an actual open invasion but israel knows they have to work alone now because the uh, administration in washington is not on their side in fact the administration in washington is not even on the side of the americans what that's happened right. in afghanistan right. was a betrayal as yes. you said there will be the taliban have already started slaughtering several of the soldiers who surrendered to them only recently they actually yes. slaughtered them no doubt about it and uh, this is something we could have foreseen should have foreseen and uh, could have worked to prevent but the uh, instead the us government actually installed a sharia constitution in uh, the afghan gov with the afghan government and so there was not really any big distinction between the taliban and the afghan government now you're hearing as if there was some huge difference unfortunately there was not nearly enough of a difference to offer any real choice to the afghan people dan what do you think i think it's it's um, amazing uh, i i i've never been to the middle east so all i can make judgments on is based on what i see in pictures and film and uh, uh, and accounts um 
And I know that IQ, you're from that area, and our guest, I assume, has traveled to some of that. What I don't understand is how do the people survive in the incredible destruction of city after city after city after city? How do they have any kind of life, and why do they want to continue to fight? Well, you know, you have to understand that Islam is an all-encompassing worldview, and they see the uh, – and it's very fatalistic. So if Allah wants them to suffer in this way, then that's something that they have to accept, and it's not to be questioned. Uh, as a matter of fact, questioning is actively discouraged in the Quran, and so it's not as if they look at the world and think, this is our this is terrible and we ought to change it they think this is the way it is and this is what allah wants and so we have uh his favor if we go along with it and accept it and of course they also believe that uh believe in islam for the most part although there are quite a few who do not uh and are underground but they are very much there but in any case those who believe in it they don't they, they'll look at anything else as the problem and say well in afghanistan our country's devastated because the americans are here and the and before that the soviets and so once they leave everything will be all right and they don't see beyond that they certainly would you, never if, dare to question islam in this regard but if you if you, if you just think of i was just thinking about what you were just saying as you were saying it and i'm i'm looking at it from the standpoint of um, if if we pull out at the end of August, like we're we're talking, we're going to do now. Do we have a situation um, as as the Afghanistan changes hands in terms of control and leadership, um, and and there's virtually no American presence other than in Israel left in the Middle East? Where do the where do the terrorists go first? Or do they reassert themselves first? Do they stay in the Middle East? They come after us, British? Where, where, where do you think they go? Well, first they're going to try to destroy Israel. And that's, uh, of course, been number one on their to-do list for quite a long time. And so now with Biden's handlers in the White House, they see the U.S. as weak and retreating. And so uh, you can expect that there's going to be more aggression against Israel as a result because they see that now is their chance to act. Okay. And if they can't bring Israel under control, where else would they? We are back live here on our big broadcast. We are coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio today. Also 50 plus AM FM stations across the country and around the world. And we have got a great guest with us today. Eric, give us a little bit on your background, my friend, and then we'll get into the topic here. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is uh, actually in the Bitcoin space in Silicon Valley. Um, and uh, my claim to fame is I'm the youngest Bitcoin millionaire. Uh, and uh, and then you know I've I've launched and sold uh, multiple companies that have all been very successful and uh, and now to me I, I see the attack on free speech is so strong I've come come here I, I just launched yesterday 
uh, to announce uh, the Freedom Phone, uh, which is a phone that has cares about free speech and your privacy and and everything. So, tell us a little bit about the Freedom Phone. Absolutely. So, um, our uh, my favorite feature on it is that it has its own uh, free speech app store. Um, actually, uh, with uh, with has all your normal apps, but plus the banned ones as well, like Parler, etc. Um, and uh, so that way, you know, like you know, you know, you're getting something that's truly free speech, um, because you know, if we they said that when they started banning people on Twitter, they said, well, tough luck, create your own Twitter. Then, then we create our own Twitter. And then it's like, well, tough luck, create your own phone, create your own app store. Then it's like, well, I did. So that's that's my favorite feature. Um, my second favorite feature is the privacy and the security and the encryption. Um, we built this phone top to bottom in mind with security in mind. Uh, uh, so that way you know you're getting a good quality phone. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that, I mean, not, not many phones care about your privacy these days, that's for sure. Amazing, amazing. We have got a great guest with us today. Eric Finman is with us. He is first known for becoming the world's youngest Bitcoin billionaire, and he has an incredible project called the Freedom Phone. So this phone, what what was the uh, production process and and everything that you did to bring this to life? Absolutely. So I've been working on this for uh, over a year now, um, and uh, uh, you know, and I've I, I just wanted to make something quality. Um, I wanted to make something uh, 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 good. Um, but yeah, no, we have a whole manufacturing process set in place. We're, we're already getting ready just to ship all the orders that we just got over the past 24 hours. We're gearing up, and uh, and yeah, we have we have great manufacturing ability um, to get these phones out. So you guys have basically your own app store. Uh, this 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 is amazing that you you be able to put all this together. Thank you, thank you. So tell me a little bit about the process of, of creating your own app store and creating your own your own database and everything, because, th- th- like I said, this is just amazing you've been able to do all this. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we we're, we're ba- we put on there on our app store all the normal apps your normal phone has. Um, so, you know, if you have a banking app, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we built all that. It was a long process, but we did it. Um, and <laughs> that's all I can say on that note. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, but I mean, the goal, the whole goal of the app store is that, you know, like if you don't have your own hardware, your own app store, you're just renting on somebody else's. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny to me that Apple, whose motto was think different are now banning apps and, and, uh, that think different and then uh, people, it's just such a shame. It's such a shame. So this, this phone, how has this been received by the, uh, by the customer base and the uh, and the media and everything. Take me through the reviews and everything you've gotten on this. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, I mean, we uh, 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 we people are really liking them. You know, people love these. You know, we've gotten a lot of love from the right, um, and then people who are anti free speech. They they do not like this phone whatsoever. Um, but that, <laughs> I wear that with a badge of honor. Um, and it's a shame. It's actually like a real thing. Like, who could you ever thought like being Anti-free speech. Sorry, I had a uncontrollable yawn there. I've been working yeah, all day. Fine, my that's bad. Fine. No, 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 <laughs> I've been no. working my butt off on this phone. I tell you that. Um, 
and because uh, uh, you know, I just want to make sure everyone gets a good experience. That's that's really the most important thing. Um, like really, like it's it's you know, every everybody has a touch point with you as a, as a, as I guess a business owner. You just want to make sure they have a good experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this phone is has been uh, uh, my life for the past year, and will be my life for the years next years to come. Fantastic. So uh, you go through and, and you stick on some of the banned apps that are that are involved with this and uh, putting a lot of different things together. So now that this has been uh, launched and you guys have started putting this together, what's next for you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just just making sure these get shipped out and everyone likes them um, and all that. And then, uh, But this is just the beginning. I want to create, you know, my own... You know, there's Silicon Valley. I want to create Freedom Valley. Um, I want to create just not just this phone, but a whole tech stack, so we can never be ever banned again. And that's the goal. Of this phone is this solves this solves things. But making sure websites, everything, it's so needed. It's so needed. That's awesome. Well, good luck with everything, my friend. Thanks for doing this and chatting with us. How do we get more information on this phone and order it and get involved with everything you're doing? Just go to freedomphone.com. It's that simple. Well, thank you, sir. Have yourself a wonderful day. We'll talk soon. Thanks for being on with us today, brother. Great. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. There he goes, Eric Fenman. And uh, we are going to take a timeout. When we come back, we have got more coming up on the other side. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.